Uh, oh, do you know the thing? Should I send it to you? Um, what, what? thing? Like our... The Call Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. I did it once, but I don't remember. You should probably send it. Yeah. It's going to be bad if you don't. Yeah, it will be. Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. A visit from the mayor is by all accounts terrifying. Shortly after falling asleep, you are suddenly stirred awake again except that your body is paralyzed. You can't move. You feel an evil presence approaching your bedside, crawling up beside you and sitting down on your chest crushing the breath out of your lungs. Encounters with the mare cross continents and time periods, making them a fairly uniform intercultural experience. Common elements include the strong impression that the victim is awake and conscious and able to perceive the environment in which they had been sleeping. The victim suffers from sleep paralysis and is struck with an incredible sense of fear. The victim feels a malicious entity hovering nearby who mounts their chest to crush them, which results in difficulty breathing. The victim is always laying on their back, a less common sleep position since most people sleep on their sides or stomachs, and the encounter is sometimes accompanied by additional corroborating sensations like the sound of a door creaking, a smell of decay, or a feeling of cold falling over the victim's body. It's a rainy day in November, and I am here with, I am here, your host, Rob C. Thompson, Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors and Doctor of Things Occult, with Brie Litterall, our metallurgic prophet, Brie. Hey, guys. And John Cook, our patron progenitor. Hey. It's been a little while. Uh in a little while. We've, we've had a, a series since you guys last were with us. You did two Johnny Todd episodes with us, and we haven't heard from you since. Those were good times. They were. <laughs> What's up? How are things? They're going. They're things. Yeah. It's uh, tough to get Bree and John down together because uh, Bree works the night shift and John works the day shift. Yes. Is that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Those are things. Yes. <laughs> so we got to want to make special plans to to meet. This is our Sunday morning meeting in lieu of church, I suppose. It's where I love to have my occult meetings. Right. <laughs> this this does feel a little little like a religious event this morning. Mm. The rain definitely helps. So, <laughs> the, yeah, the rain does help. It it sets the mood for today. So, um, but fun fact: both of you have had encounters with the mare or the hag or terror that comes in the night. Yes? Yeah, I think the first time I ever experienced it was when I was like four. Like Breeze definitely had wow, more experience so. than me, but yeah. And John, you had one recently. Um, in the last year, yeah. Not super recent. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. recent. It's pretty recent. All right, let's uh, let's pledge it out and get into this. We the members of, of the, the secret, secret order, order of alchemical actors, actors do solemnly commit, commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the, of the history of the occult as far as, far as we know it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to just toss this out to both of you and see what happens. Could you open up those plugs? Plug. 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 <laughs> that was... Also interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you just toss it out to us, Rob. Yeah. We weren't prepared. So we are, 
pre-recorded for this episode. We're recording this one early, uh, so we don't have uh, patron shout-outs today, but we do have a few things we would like to plug to you all out there in the podcastosphere of confessors. First of all, if you have not taken the opportunity to listen to The Dark Pool, both Bree and John are featured prominently, and uh, it's, a, it's a good time. It's a good time. We like to think about Dark Pool as a, an occult experiment that we have dramatized for your listening pleasure. Uh, we also want to encourage you to uh, like and subscribe on YouTube if you have not yet. Our uh, Dan Rosendale, Eye of the Archive, has been busy posting videos there. And uh, finally, if you haven't joined us on Patreon yet, there is plenty of bonus content to enjoy there. So have a look. Uh, that's all I have to say. You guys want to add anything? Do what Rob said. Um, yes, please. <laughs> please. A lot of please in there. Please. Close up those plugs. <laughs> Plug? Gulp. What? <laughs> Plug, but backwards. Closing, closing it up, you know what I mean? I'm just going to say plug to get rid of that plug. The English word's likeliest origin is the root mar, for the word mare, of course meaning to pound or crush. In Indonesia, mares are called jijiuntan, meaning pressed upon. In China, they are beiguai, chuck, meaning pressed down by a ghost. In France, they are koshimar, derived from the verb kosher, meaning to tread on. In Mexico, they are pesadilla, from the Spanish verb peser, meaning to press down. Are we catching a theme here? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to be very universal around the world about this, and that's really creepy that that is also a thing that I wasn't aware about. That's universal. It's just the, the etymology. Yeah. 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 All very similar. The lore surrounding mares is varied and complex. Among the earliest mares is the Sumerian Lilu, one of the many iterations of Lilith across various cultures' mythologies. Now, the third reference to Lilith in our Evil Spirit series. Lilith! In s- Go Lilith! That's <laughs> more or less what Olivia does every time I bring her I up. I mean, she deserves it. <laughs> Patron of the literal sisters. <laughs> In Sumerian and Babylonian lore, Lilith was often depicted in association with owls, who are a favorite bird of of my child, by the way, either flanked by them or with owl feet to mark her nocturnal nature. As a succubus, she visited men in the night to steal their sperm. As a hater of children, she visited women to disrupt their fertility or cause miscarriages. The Talmud warns that whoever sleeps in a house alone will be seized by Lilith, Against the standard feminization of the mare, the ancient Greeks actually interpreted the nightmare creature as male, naming the spirit Ephialtes. This shapeshifter could take the form of someone you know or a dead loved one before devolving into its horribly disfigured form. He could torture the victim with similar features of the mare encounter or arrive as a kind of incubus, seducing a woman in the form of a familiar lover in the night. Horace traces the origins of Ephialtes to a group of witches who killed and mutilated a boy to make a love charm. I see you intend to murder me no matter what I say, so hear this one last plea before you do your wicked work. If you kill me, I shall return to haunt and torture your dreams and dreams worldwide for the injustice wrought against me this night. 
The child vowed to return as a vengeful revenant when they slept, and so became the Greek nightmare spirit. In the European tradition, they tend to be female. A Danish legend holds that a pregnant woman can perform a ritual passing through a foal's call that will render her her birth painless, uh, but her sons will be werewolves and her daughters will be mares. You may have uh, some listeners may remember we brought this up on our Livonian werewolf episode. Rob, it's really interesting that in Europe they're highly female because universally, whenever somebody's experiencing this, they always see an, a, a male shadow figure. I think that this breed might be a product of our Christian heritage, which tended to ascribe a lot of evil things to women, and mm. I think to the, the Lilith heritage there, right? Okay. Lilith being the originary figure just feminized all of them. So it might not be about the actual paranormal experience, more so the cultural lens, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I got you. Okay. In Poland, uh, mares are the seventh daughters, or girls whose names were mispronounced at baptism or women jilted by their would-be husbands. So you can become a mare in many ways in Poland. They transform in the night into cats, dogs, yarn, or apples. Wait, hold on. <laughs> they just like, how? Yarn? Yarn. Because you might have that handy, like in a basket next to you, and it could be demon yarn. So does it just like wiggle apples. its way out of the basket and strangle you at night? Like, what does the yarn do? It's there to drain your energy. But yarn? Just by looking at it, it just I, drains my energy. I know. <laughs> Make sure you're not sleeping close to any yarn or apples at night. I'll try, Rob. In Egypt, sufferers blame the jinn for their experience, going back to our jinn episode. In this way, the mayor ties together our whole series of evil spirits with Lilith and the jinn and, and all these characters. That's why we're doing them last. The mares are often conflated with succubi and incubi, drain energy like a vampire, and in Arabic and Persian cultures are tied to the jinn. In Newfoundland, David J. Hufford conducted a groundbreaking study on what he called the terror that comes in the night. Newfoundlanders described being ridden by an old hag who sat on their chests. Hufford had his own encounter with the hag long before beginning his research, which belied the notion that his informants' descriptions were shaped by their culture. As Bree's saying, this is an intercultural experience. Hufford, the scholar, had come from outside the culture and had his experience before hearing their stories. Canadian Inuit people experienced the Ukmangernik. Ukmangernik. That's their word for sleep paralysis. Oh. Okay. About that. Sleep renders the individual's connection to their tarnik or life spirit fragile, and attacks by ill meaning shamans or evil spirits can trouble the connection between me and my tarnik, causing sleep paralysis or even death if the spirit just doesn't come back. The Japanese Kanashibari appears as an intruder who sits like the hag on the chests of its victims. Interestingly, some Japanese children and teenagers actually want to encounter the Kanashibari and devise means of luring it, reveling in the horror of the experience, which is a kind of pop culture phenomenon in Japanese media. That actually... Isn't that something? That's not... Well, that's not too far off from, like, a lot of, um, at least here in the U.S., um, trying to purposefully lucid dream that leads you... You have to go through sleep paralysis to do that, so a lot of people invite that because they think it's a very cool and thrilling experience i, I think it, uh, you know, the horror movies in japan like they've a, a very strong horror oh, culture yeah, so I, 
that inspires, I think, this desire to encounter the Kanashibari. Mm. Isn't that isn't that kind of like chanting the name in the mirror to try to summon some some sort of spirit or something like that? Yeah, but it really comes this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is even more effective. Perhaps the most contemporary version of the mayor is the Hat Man. Have you heard of the Hat Man, Brie? Yeah. Dark silhouetted figure who visits people in their sleep. When accompanied by other shadowy figures, the Hat Man is perceived as the leader or boss. The Hat Man is generally generally classed along with the relatively vague but popularly theorized class of paranormal entity called the Shadow People. Visions of the Hat Man come complete with sleep paralysis and a crushing sensation on the chest, resulting in experiences of breathlessness. Heidi Hollis, credited with introducing the world to Shadow People on Art Bell's Coast to Coast AM, argued that these Shadow People were evil spirits engaged in a battle with God, and the prayer was the best means to combat their assaults. I, I want to hear, Bree, a bit from you on this. I'm sorry, but... To... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say what you need to say. Uh, yeah, so before, this is my first mention of Art Bell's Coast to Coast AM, and I have to say, uh, this I, I feel like Art Bell was the originator of a lot of the podcasts in, in our area these mm-hmm. days, and I remember as a child, my grandfather listened to Art Bell and would tell me all these things that he heard on Art Bell, so I really feel like, to, to a certain extent, we owe occult confessions, at least in part, to Art Bell. Uh, okay, so, Bree, tell me about the Hat Man and the Shadow People. What, what, what's, what's your take on um, this? Praying won't do shit, sorry, but it has nothing to do with religion, in my opinion. Uh, sorry, honey. <laughs> um, they are not in a battle with God, from what I've experienced. All they care about is sapping the life force from whatever they're near. They. So you don't think about them as evil spirits? No, they are. They are, are the they most evil? dangerous thing, in my opinion, that you can encounter. But you don't think they're in a Judeo... Well, it doesn't need to be Judeo-Christian if we conceive of God as just like the highest and the best and creative force. I don't think you they don't see them as care in about, conflict with that. I think all they care about is the destruction they cause on the physical plane. All right. Well, I, I don't want to give every, anything away. We want to keep people listening. So we're going <laughs> to tease that um, y- you can, at the end of the episode, suggest ways of dealing with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I can. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're going to tease that. We'll come back to it. Discovering the mayor's human name, speaking a special set of words, or eating coffee grounds before bed are all means of warding off the creature. What do you say to those? Um, gross. Well, in the case of coffee grounds, it might be because you don't end up sleeping I know, at all. I, was say, I don't think that would actually like help. I think that might just make you possibly fall into sleep paralysis more because you're so exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> you just end up sitting up all yeah. night. Well, you want to sleep paralysis if you're just sitting awake in bed. More practically, sleeping on your side or stomach uh, is a better way to prevent these attacks because they do cross-culturally tend to happen when people are on their backs. Do I have something to say to that? Um, I don't. It, sleeping in a different position might not stop it, but the reason that I sleep face down since I was a child is so that I don't have to see anything when it happens. Hmm. I will say that I have had sleep paralysis face down. Yeah. I sleep face. I sleep on my stomach, and I I have experienced definitely sleep yeah. paralysis face down. Okay, uh, so <laughs> you can try those. <laughs> try those. <laughs> Bree is not endorsing any of those, but uh, and discovering the mayor's human name sounds pretty challenging. But if you know can manage you it, would do that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, these are all folk. So this is all folklore yeah. right around these things. So. Different folkloric solutions. Let's talk a little bit about 
medicine now, the medicine of these mares. The nightmare made the transition from the world of folklore into the realm of science with medical doctor John Bond's essay on the incubus or nightmare in which Bond confessed to suffering from telltale symptoms of the disorder, namely paralysis, dread, and a crushing feeling on his chest during the encounter. Writing in the mid-18th century, so this is mid-18th century, this is the 1700s, Bond believed nightmares were brought on by eating or drinking too much. This line of thought was particularly potent through the Enlightenment, but it actually goes all the way back to the ancient Greek physician Galen, who thought nightmares had something to do with gastric disturbances. In the Renaissance, Johann Weir, physician and demonologist, speculated that vapors rising from the stomach to the brain might account for the phenomenon. In popular culture, we can think of Scrooge's comment to the ghost of Marley, uh, which happened a hundred years later than Bond was writing in A Christmas Carol. Scrooge accuses the ghost of being a bit of undigested meat or cheese. We've all seen this movie a thousand times, yeah. or many people have. So you can, can we recall this moment? Yeah. Basically, this is going back to John Bond's theory. This comes from John Bond's idea. This ghost goes all the way back to Galen. A phantasm is brought on by eating too close to bed. In 1816, the surgeon John Waller wrote that he could conjure a nightmare attack by eating avocados before bed. John, have you ever had an avocado before bed? No. Do you even like avocados? No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're, you're never going to make it with the hipsters, John. Oh, man. <laughs> Do you like toast? <laughs> it's, it's like two out of ten. <laughs> John likes to eat like uncooked tor- plain tortillas, so I don't really know. Yeah, those are good. Yeah. That and like uncooked pasta. Never oh mind. my gosh! I mean, uncooked That's pasta. That's really yeah, something. But... Well, anyway. well, that feels like that might give you a nightmare if you, <laughs> if you eat uncooked pasta right before bed. Contemporary research reported in the International Journal of Applied and Basic Medical Research estimates that about 8% of the population suffer from some form of sleep paralysis, including the mare experience. But this number varies by culture and study. One study argues that 30% of the population will experience sleep paralysis at least once in their lives. And in Japan, 40% of the population report night terrors. The researchers, of course, attribute this to varied lifestyle and nightlife, but in the Japanese case, it could have something to do with how badly they want this to happen. Probably. Early onset of the phenomenon in a person's life suggests the person will experience more frequent episodes, with instances increasing through the teenage years. Bree, does this sound right? So you had it when you were four. Literally my entire life. Almost nightly, I have to deal with this. But did you find as a teenager that it was more frequent? Um, no, because for me, it was a lot to do with, um, I guess you could say my sensitivity to things. Okay. Um, and a lot of the times when it comes to the shadow being the hat man, if you will, those beings tend to latch on to sensitive people because they can acknowledge them and they try to take advantage of them. Do you see the hat man in a hat? Do you actually see a hat man? Yeah, it's like, well, I've only seen him a few times he doesn't always show up um okay but he's like this very very tall like <sighs> skyscraper like he, like looking up at him it just feels like it never ends like he just keeps going and his hat is like this it's a top hat it's what you would picture on abraham lincoln let's say i don't know why <laughs> that was my first thought but that was what i said i have heard some of that yeah i've read rather i've read it's some that of that top hat it's not like 
you know, maybe if it were like a bowler hat, it'd be less creepy, but it's just this <laughs> top hat that just seems so much more, it's just uncomfortable. I don't know how to Being describe it. Being attacked by characters from a Beckett play. Yes. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> the medical explanation is fairly complex. It's also a bit speculative. The phenomenon happens during REM sleep when we tend to have our most dramatic dreams. To prevent us from acting out our dreams, so say the doctors, our brains keep our bodies paralyzed. Brainstem activation of the amygdala in a portion of the brain responsible for sensing danger before we can logically logically process its nature gives the victim the sense of an intruder being present. You got all that? Psychology has also attempted to link the mare phenomenon to childhood sexual abuse, anxiety disorders, and post-traumatic stress disorder. So for, for the biology, it's just the evolution of our brain has created this weird situation when we sleep. Psychology, of course, makes it way more complicated and looks for these um, factors in our life stories. And the psychology thing always gets me because there have been people that have told stories and a lot of the times when it comes to this experience, a lot of people say that there is a sexual component to it. Obviously, it's not pleasant, but half of these people... We're never abused. They've never had any sort of incidences with sexual trauma or anything. It just is how it is. So I just, I don't see much credit in the thought process of there is trauma. You must have this issue. I think it's more so a matter of, I, I do agree with the, the physical though. Um, that makes sense. And you're more susceptible to things. Yeah. yeah okay. So you think that we're physically open, but you, you actually think your encounter, you don't think that the encounter itself is completely explicable through your brain no, chemicals. No, I don't think it's personal. Like, I don't think it's a personal experience. I don't think that just because you went through something, you're necessarily going to have to do this. Or if you have it, you've gone through something. Like, I don't think that make, that doesn't And you matter. think there's something out there. There's yeah, actually something in the Yeah, I think it is an actual real thing. It's not something you're imagining because of brain processes. Yeah, it's not a hallucination. It's real. Let's get into some listener stories. Um, So over the summer, we asked our listeners if they had ever had any paranormal experiences in their sleep. So we received several stories that listeners attributed to ghosts rather than mares. Um, And let's start with those. Craig B. sent us this experience. Thanks, Craig. When I was a kid, I moved with my mom and sister to this kind of rundown house near where my dad lived. I would play out in the dilapidated garage all day, just building with the scrap wood and things I could forage. In time, weird things started happening around the house. It was mostly mundane things going missing, then reappearing in just the most bizarre places, like shampoo bottles tucked behind the front door. One night, staying with my dad, I woke up with moonlight breaking through my window, and there was this wispy figure floating in the light. It didn't look human, but like an approximation of something human, an ever-changing ethereal cloud. After a few months, my mom started dating this guy, and he told her nervously that we were living in his dad's old house, and his dad had killed himself in the garage where uh, this young man, uh, our friend Craig, had been spending a lot of time playing. So that's the ghost encounter. Yeah. Um, so maybe, Bree, just what you were saying about the brain just now, so the brain might, you know, because of these different factors, be more susceptible, you've mentioned the word sensitive, at this nocturnal moment, and maybe it could be accessing different planes of being, including ancestor spirits. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the work that I do in my practice, I do in that in-between state because it's a very easy way to travel and by your practice you mean like a neo-shamanism kind of yeah um uh, sadar specifically for um 
what I do for the, the Norse pagan shamanism, but... Let's talk about Z Daddy here, who also had a mysterious nocturnal experience that ended up connecting back to the history of the house and a death that took place there. Oh, okay. He says, uh, or he or she, yeah, he, Z Daddy, around the, <laughs> I think. Don't assume. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to assume. Around the age of 10, me and my twin used to stay overnight with my aunt sometimes. This is the beginning of a, <laughs> a Stanley Kubrick movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I struggled with insomnia as a child. One night, as I lay on the main floor couch facing the staircase uh, that goes both upstairs and downstairs from the main floor, I guess from the main floor, because all staircases technically do go upstairs and downstairs, (laughs) I saw a perfect black shadow like a silhouette of a person at the top of the staircase. The shadow proceeded to come down the staircase, maybe within five feet of me, and then turned to go downstairs. Then it walked into the bathroom, and after a minute, the toilet flushed, and it proceeded to go back upstairs, where, as best as my eyes could tell, in the low light of the room, the person vanished after reaching the top of the landing. I thought nothing of this and eventually got to sleep. My aunt and cousin never got up that night, and my aunt's family were all much larger than the thing, thin figure I saw. So he's not just being mean there, it's just comparison. After a few days, my aunt sat me down and questioned me about what I had seen. She waited till my single mother came to pick us up after her long shift at Thunder Mountain Custom Cycles. Little plug there for Thunder Mountain Custom Cycles. If it still exists. uh, Around 11 p.m. Apparently, she had been doing some digging and research, and it turns out a 19-year-old boy had hung himself at the top of the staircase upstairs. Since then, I've never seen him again, and I still don't understand what use a ghost had for a bathroom. You know, you can't bathroom shame your ghosts, guys. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? That is very, very bizarre, though. That it just went, just had to go. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Z Daddy. Really we cool. have nothing for you. I think we cannot explain this. I don't bathroom know how to help phenomenon. you with your bathroom problems, <laughs> um, with your ghost bathroom problems. <laughs> I mean, in the last episode, we did talk about the gin haunting toilets. So it's you know, mm, or yeah. you know, anyway. Closer to the mare. So let's get closer to the our nightmare experience here. So those those are both ghost stories. Um, but let's let's see if we can find a, a hag that comes in the night. We had stories with no explicit tie to the dead. A couple of these. One was from Loki S, who told of a hypnagogic encounter with voices. Loki says, "When I was a child, I would hear what I can only describe as a screaming demonic voice that was both loud and silent. It was like I could hear it, but not with my normal hearing senses. I could hear it inside my head, but it wasn't like a thought." I would search my eyes in the darkness of my room for the source because it always felt like it was coming from someone nearby in the room. I could never see anything visually. This would happen as I was falling asleep on a semi-regular basis, specifically between the ages of 9 and 12. So Loki is keying in on the time of life most closely associated with the mare, early adolescence through the teenage years. The distinct feeling of a presence is a hallmark of encounters with the mare, although Loki doesn't seem to suffer from paralysis. Uh, what do you think, Bree? Can you identify with that voice at all? So I actually, um, one of my first experiences when I was like four years old, this is, reminds me of this actually, um... It's very similar, except I did actually see something, but for me, it was always... I had this weird, like, um, crib bed thing, because it was like a... It used to be a crib, but, like, you turned it into a bed when you got older. It was how one of those things, I guess. I was, like, four, and, um, 
I shared a room with Olivia uh, at this point in this house, and at night, um, I would wake up in the middle of the night, and there'd be this, like, shadowy woman sitting next to my bed, and she would sing to me, um, but she would sing to me in Russian, and, like, I never thought anything of it until, like, at some point, I finally brought it up to my mom, and she was like, I don't know, like, I've, like, brought the song up to my mom, and she was like, how do you even know what that is? Like, nobody in our family even <laughs> speaks Russian anymore, like, like, what? But, you, I mean, it is, we do want to point out that, for those who don't remember, uh, you guys are Russian. Oh, yeah, we we're Russian, Russian and Italian, yeah. Yeah. Um, My mom was like, there isn't anybody that you would even know that would would be able to even sing that. Uh, I was like, oh, so there's just a ghost woman singing to me. But it was not, like, out loud. It was that sort of sense of it was in my head, but it wasn't a thought. I know exactly what you mean by that. That's very interesting. Um, I think it very well could be this this mare-type experience. Um, But apparently also could be an ancestor spirit, like you're saying. It could be, but I honestly didn't get any sense of familiarity with it um like i probably Hmm. normally would it was very bizarre but i don't know was there anything i don't know how is your family i don't know i can't (laughs) reach out to us loki (laughs) (laughs) reach out tell me more about this voice is it anybody that you would know is it family related because it could be an ancestral thing it really could be especially at that young of an age um somebody could be trying to reach out could have been trying to reach out to you if it wasn't a mare type situation alessandra b experienced a terrifying paralysis uh and saw it being not unlike the true form of the ancient greek aphialtes she says when I was 21, I stayed at my friend's sister's house and slept on her couch. She always used to talk about a demon that lived in her apartment, but I never paid it too much attention because she dealt with mental health issues and believed that this creature was something she'd imagined. So this is not Alessandra saying this, but the friend said, okay. you know, I think there's a demon in my apartment, but I think that might be because of my own mental health issues. We stayed up until 3 a.m. watching TV in her living room before I crashed on her couch. After about 10 minutes, I looked over and noticed I couldn't move my head, just my eyes and my body, and I felt like I was being pinned down, paralyzed. I began to panic because I also heard a noise to the side of me, and when I looked, I saw the body of what looked like a horribly decomposed man standing a couple feet away from me. It got closer and closer, and I tried to yell, but couldn't do anything more than make little noises, and I started bawling my eyes out. This thing stood right over me and leaned forward, and I could see it didn't have eyes. They were big sunken holes, and the hair on its head was white and missing in huge patches. This is giving me chills. It got right up to my face, and I could literally feel its breath on me. It was the freakiest thing. I heard my friend's sister in her room tossing and turning like she was waking up, and I kept trying to yell, but could only make small noises. This thing got right up on my face and said, Que niña tan bonita, in the freakiest, raspy voice I've ever heard. A second later, I heard my friend's sister waking up and yelling who's out there down the hallway because I think she could hear my whimpers. She ran into the living room and turned on the light, and whatever was standing over me was gone, and I felt like I could move again. I sat up with my face soaked in tears and told her what I saw, but she didn't seem surprised. She said, I told you there's a demon here. I was so scared I jumped in bed with her for the rest of the night. Mm. So there's some classic uh, elements here, Uh, sleep paralysis, feeling of being pinned down, 
an interesting feature here is her friend's sister's experience with a demonic presence that she dismissed. dismissed. Um, Alessandra's experience seems to confirm the reality of this supposedly imagined entity, if they're both having separate experiences of the same thing. Mm -hmm. It feels like a kind of paranormal confirmation. Um, do we know what language that was? Or what it said? Spanish. Um, bonita, pretty, the que niña, little girl. I, I think it, it means uh, how pretty the little girl is. The girl is. That's really creepy. Yeah. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, our Spanish-speaking listeners. You know. Or Brie, do you know? <laughs> que niña, tan I don't bonita. know what that. No, I don't know what it means. I don't speak Spanish. But um, honestly, that experience might not be a mare situation. That might just straight up be a demon thing. Not a ghost. It could be, but... Ah, just, just... Ghosts usually, like, spirits, they don't... It's a little threatening for a ghost in yeah, my experience. Yeah, it, it seems like it was very much attaching itself to her reaction and her emotion, which, in my experience, that that's good old, good old demon boy there. Um, which <laughs> really, <laughs> as long as you don't like feed it any sort of emotional anything, you're fine. Like it can't do anything. All right. So we're getting to remedies here. I want you to tell us a little bit about your experiences. John, I want to hear about your experience. Uh, Cause that's, this that's is also demon related fun fact. Yeah. So go ahead. Let's, let's hear about, about yours. Then let's, let's hear some remedy. Well, let's save those for the very end. Cause I got to do my analysis and we'll, we'll do remedies. So let's, <laughs> okay. let's hear some encounters. You want to start with John maybe since we haven't heard from John. Yeah. I think Bree has to start this one though. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So John's house is very, very old. Um, at least a hundred years. So nineteenth oh, century. Yeah, it's way like way oh, so eighteenth century. I think late seventeen hundreds. Yeah, it's really really old. Um, you can just so tell. Maryland, the eastern shore of Maryland for our listeners was um colonized in the seventeenth century. So we were we were one of the earliest colonies. Virginia, just south of us, was colonized first, and then Maryland was colonized shortly afterwards. Um, so we do have some very old buildings uh, on the shore well i mean <laughs> apologies <laughs> to our chinese and european listeners who have uh, 800 yeah. year old buildings but yeah. for for america uh, we do have some relatively old structures yeah. so oh, yeah fun fact about my house apparently Catherine hepburn spent part of her childhood there what that is fun a fun fact. fact that's really cool i don't know why i made that noise in reaction but <laughs> that's really cool hmm. i feel like you've told me that yeah yeah you have um but so his house is like really old and they have, like, a third-floor attic space type of deal that's, like... It's three rooms. It's three rooms, so it's, like, not, like, a decrepit attic. It's, like, actual, like, rooms. Like, it's not... It's split up. Yeah. One of their siblings used to live up there, and she didn't have a great time at that point in her life when she was living up there, and... So, Meaning that in her personal life, yeah. things were not so great, not because of anything paranormal. Yeah. So whatever was up there initially was able to feed on that, basically. And so she moved out, and nobody had been living up on that third floor. And I got, a, like, a call from uh, John's, one of John's younger sisters, who still lives in the house. And her room sits beneath... Um, the stairs like to go up to that floor and there's three rooms on that floor hers is under the first one and the third room is the one that the other sister used to live in so 
she lives under that space and she called me and she was like pretty upset and she was telling me about all of these things that were happening to her and like she was being physically harmed she was covered in bruises on her legs she would just wake up covered in them um she was like and at this point she wasn't doing too well personally either and she was right under that space and she had briefly mentioned about the third floor to me and i was like okay and so knowing what i do she asked me to come in and like look around and everything for her and i said i would so i came in and um i did my like walk around and then i went up to the third floor uh had some pretty rough experiences up there um what do you mean by that so when i went up there um there's like a little mini the the second room is like a little hallway room that connects the two and so when i go to walk through to the third room the doorway is like hitting a brick wall like it was the worst physical resistance yeah it's the worst energy i think i've ever felt in a space in a long time like the feeling of drop to your knees wailing crying dread like that type of dread like it was horrible so there's a physical push and there's also an emotional component yeah and um i picked up on a few things right away that later i was able to confirm with the sister who used to live there and i was pretty much dead on with it and then i confirmed with um i I told uh, the sister that i was helping not to really like tell me anything um because i didn't want to be so when you say you picked up on things you mean you picked up on elements of their personal trauma yeah, that and what was happening in that space. So okay, oh okay. Instance, so you you were able to say you know without knowing what had happened to yeah. them, you were able to say, well, I think this happened to you and this happened to you. Yeah, and I and I straight up saw the thing when I went in there. Um, because I went in there, I walked in, and um, the sister she was standing. She didn't want to stand in the doorway, so she was standing kind of next to the doorway, but she didn't really want to come into the room too far. And so I turned around to speak to her, and standing in the doorway was the thing that it is that I hadn't been decided on until recently what it was. Um, and you were able to see it, but she was not? Yeah. Um, and I, I obviously did not tell her it was right next to her, because I'm not going to be like, <laughs> let's scare you uh, right now and leave me up here to do this. Because she already was very uncomfortable, so I, I just didn't say anything until afterwards like way afterwards i actually think i just told her yesterday for the first time that i saw it in there with her but um and it was very it was like a black shadow figure um it stood about maybe four feet tall like a child almost but behind it it had this like person-sized thing that it was dragging behind it in one hand dragging like a doll you no mean like, like a full-grown man like size thing it was dragging but, behind like it. chained to it somehow it was like a, it was like almost like it was holding like a sack or something oh yeah um just standing in the doorway facing me pretty much and so at that point i was like okay just gonna ignore you and do my walk about and um there was a corner of the room that i the the feeling of dread was god awful in um it was the worst part of the room and I got a feeling that things weren't ever put there, um, that it was actually avoided. And so later when I spoke to the sister who stayed there, she told me that she initially had her bed there, but then she moved it and never put anything in that corner of the room again. It, it, it's like, it, it felt as though that entire corner of the room 
was just like a massive stain. Um, and then at that point when I was in the corner of the room, um, the sister, like, she asked me, she was like, did you like, she's like, did you touch your neck or something? And I was like, what? And she goes, your neck. And so like, I pull like my shirt down and I just had three scratches going down my back from my neck. Hmm. Um, I came down and I was like, I knew I couldn't do anything about that space. And, Cause if I had tried it, probably it wouldn't help. I don't think anything would help. And I just didn't want to have it backlash on me or um, a sister so instead I just warded off the sister's room pretty much so that she'd be protected in it and I gave her a couple of things to do that um, would pretty much seal the deal on that and she was fine since then like she hasn't had an issue in her room ever since I did that that's good but that night but John has yeah well (laughs) that night this is after I left this is what happened yeah so usually I sleep either on my back or on my side um Face because my my bed is in the corner of the room, so I usually sleep on my side facing the open room or on my back facing a window and an open doorway. There's like a doorway that is right in front of the window that splits off to the right and goes downstairs. Do you do this intentionally, John, or just how it happens? I'm way more comfortable on my back, so I usually just do that. Bizarre. But, uh, <laughs> you are it's rare it is rare yeah so my door was open so it was covering most of the window but it was it was dark over there and i can't remember whether this happened whether i woke up in the middle of the night or whether it happened right after i fell asleep but i remember being awake and not being able to move and there was no dread or anything initially i just was like my eyes were open so i was like okay well i guess i'm gonna get up realized i couldn't move Looked over around the room, didn't see anything, looked towards the doorway, and, like, in the silhouette of the door that was open, I saw, like, a black figure, and then as soon as that happened, I could feel, like, my neck being choked, or, like, tightened, like I couldn't breathe, but there was nothing sitting on my chest, the figure didn't move, it just stood, it was just sitting there, and it was, like, maybe four and a half, five feet tall. And I could just, I couldn't breathe, and I felt like my neck, like, moved backwards, and then the dread hit me, and then I just kind of, like, forced myself to move, and, like, I got out of it, and it, like, was gone, and then I tried to go back to sleep, and I could feel myself slipping back into that, that paralysis, and so I just, I just turned the light on, and, yeah. But didn't you say that when Oh, it right, happened, right, right, yeah, right, yeah, 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 so when I, when I, I saw it, and felt the dread, and felt like the my throat being grabbed i could hear brie screaming not with my ears but in my head like like not a thought like you got like you guys were saying which is kind of crazy because i didn't make that connection before but it was like in my head she was screaming and that's when i forced myself to move and this would have been like sort of brie's lingering essence in the space i actually honestly think it was a threat um i because i this was in john's room i didn't do anything in john's room like i didn't do any sort of spiritual work in his room the only place in that house that needed that was emma's room and then that third floor um oh so it was trying to keep you out it was trying to scare you through john i think it was threatening john like with me because it had already harmed me john at this point didn't know that though 
Um, mm-hmm. He didn't know that I it didn't had scratched that, that You didn't even, I didn't tell you about it there, yet. Yeah. I didn't even tell you that I, was I at did work, it yet. Wasn't I? Yeah, you yeah. weren't even there that day. So I didn't get to tell you until um, like the next day when I saw you. It was no, because I told you like I, I that morning I called yeah, you and, and told I was you what like, happened. I was like, John, that's really weird because guess what I just did. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's really something. I I think it was genuinely like a threat towards me, because I I I did one over on it and it didn't like it, but it it had to deal with it. It couldn't do anything about it, so. And, and your interpretation is that this is some sort of shadow person phenomenon. Well, um. Now that I have an update from the sister who lives in that space or the space below, um, she, yesterday, actually, we were talking about this. It got brought up yesterday at work. And um, apparently it seems like it's really died down. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I warded her room off so it couldn't latch on to any negative energy she had. Um, And because of that, I think it's more so on the demon side of things, because, in my opinion, demons are attached to land. They're attached to land that has been so traumatically stained with blood. In my Like, it just imagine, like, the blood soaking into the land. That's what I picture when I think of any sort of demon-related thing. That... So when you say demon, it's possible to interpret it as uh, sort of like a psychic lingering energy of great trauma? Yeah, but it's manifested into physical being. But yeah, it has some sort yeah. of extra presence, but it's like this lingering, this trauma lingers in a space and can cause it's, hauntings, essentially what we would call out like a violent haunting. Yeah, it's almost like um, a fae creature has been made from the pain and suffering on a piece of land. Okay, so now let's get to the shadow people, because this, uh, this has baffled me. Before we started the episode, I, I was talking to Brian and John. I, I tried to look into shadow people so I can get all this information about mares and terror that comes in the night. There's been a lot of research done on that, but shadow people, all we've got is this one lady. It's, it's not the most scholarly you know, exercise to try to research shadow people. How do you differentiate what you're talking about as a demon from what we would call a shadow person? So... Demons are, in my opinion, and I've formed a consensus with other people who have had similar experiences with such a uh, such an entity. Um, there's something that is so heavily linked to a piece of land because of some sort of emotion that's triggered it, um, that they feed off of whatever that emotion is, and that's how they grow and that's how they get strong. If you take away that emotion, they become weak and they can't do anything, just like the one in John's house has become. Mm-hmm. Shadow people, on the other hand, don't have that limit. Shadow people, I don't, honestly, I can't tell you where they come from. I can't tell you what exactly they are. But they come from somewhere else. They're some other plane. And all they care about is the destruction that they can cause. The loss of life that they can cause. It's their goal to drain you of everything that you have and even cause illness and death. In the night. That is my experience. That and it can also be depending on. So if you're a sensitive person, like I had mentioned earlier. So like when I was little, um, I had issues with like they would try to like tempt me into doing things that would cause me grievous bodily harm. Like I could have died, but. I didn't because I didn't I didn't do them. Like I didn't listen to them because they scared so me. So they're a bit like the devil um, on your shoulder in that way, more personal. They try to they try to be your friend if you're young enough to deal with that or they just scare you into 
whatever they want from you, basically. So they're kind of trickstery, but exclusively in a nefarious way. Yeah, they're kind of like leeches that you can't really get rid of. And what? How have you known that you've been engaging with a shadow person? Uh, okay, so I've got. I came prepared with a few, a few shadow people stories. Yeah, um, let's have them. So, and I have actually art to go along with these that I'm going to send to Shannon to post. Cool. Check um, us out on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice plug. Okay. Um. So. John has actually been here for some of the incidences. Um, he doesn't really, you don't really know, though, that they happened, because, like, you're not going to know you're asleep. But um, there was one time where John had stayed over, and we were sleeping. And I woke up with my sleep paralysis, but it felt like John's arm, like, I was, like, in a chokehold, and his arm was, like, tightening on my neck, and, like, I could hear from the side that he was on, like, something talking to me, um, in this, like, very, like, deep and gross voice, and, um, while this is happening, I can see, like, above me, like, shadows on the ceiling, pretty much. Sometimes I kind of look like these, like, little creepy gremlin things that are very uncomfortable, like, they move... It's not even animalistic how they move because it doesn't look natural. Like, it just looks very grotesque, I guess. Okay. And, like, I literally, like, I couldn't breathe. And I'm, like, I, in this instant, I feel like I'm, like, beating the shit out of John trying to get him to let go of my arm. And I'm, like, trying to, like, yell. And then the moment that I'm finally able to wake up, I wake up. John's not even touching me. He's, like, somewhere in the corner almost falling off my bed. And I am perfectly fine, nothing's wrong, and I'm just like, I wasn't even speaking. And you woke up because I hit you. I literally smacked you and I woke you up and I was like, John, what was that? And you're like, what? And then went back to sleep. And I was like, what just happened? Um, So is it consistent, this feeling that you can't breathe? Yeah, so um, a lot of the time, like I literally, it's like I'm forced to hold my breath until I'm able to come out of it. And it's not even like... I can't feel it until after I've gotten out of it that I couldn't breathe, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not, I don't have the physical pain of not being able to breathe while it's happening, but once I get out of it, my lungs feel like they've never felt air before, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm, like, you're com- like you've been underwater. Yeah, actually. If you ever get into sleep paralysis, one thing I'm going to suggest is always try to wake yourself up. Don't ever just give in to it because you think it's too hard to wake up. Big mistake. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I do. I, I fight it. I fight. <laughs> I usually I'm a big do. Fighter. <laughs> um, this one time, I didn't though for some reason. I don't know why, but I just didn't. And um, I was like laying on my side, and so my bed faces like there's a wall in front of my bed that has like my TV and stuff, and then to the left is the door that comes into my room, and that door doesn't really close all the way, so it's always like kind of open. And so I'm laying on my side so that I'm facing that door side, but I'm looking straight ahead, basically, at the wall. And um, I believe I was waking, I was coming out of sleep. I was waking up. I don't think I was falling asleep at this point. And um, I noticed it, like, it was happening, and I was like, 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 I really was trying my damnedest to get out of it, and I just could not move. Like, it was not happening this time. 
So I said, okay, fine. I'll just see if I, I'll just let it take its course. I'll calm down. I'll let the panic go away and see if it'll take its course. As soon as I made that decision, from my door, like, I can just see these black shadowy hands kind of like grip around the door and then like a little bit of a head poke out. And it kind of like scales its way along the back wall and then goes down. And then I'm like looking at the foot of my bed and it kind of just props itself up and peers up at me. Couldn't see a face, but I just got the sense that the most disgustingly wide grin was on this thing's face. Is this frightening and... for you? Because you, if you're experiencing these all the time, I mean, I think that you're probably fairly rare that you have these experiences so often. Most people experience them a handful of times in their lives. Do yeah. you still find that it comes with the big emotional reaction since you see these folks so often? This was the only time recently that I've had that happen. Because... The terror that comes. Yeah, because there, we're not done with this one yet. There was The worst part of it was is about to come oh. up. At this point, I feel, like, a pressure behind me. Like, the pressure of, like, being spooned, basically. And for two seconds, I was like, did John stay the night? I don't think so. And you're continuing to see the figure in front of you? Yeah, there's that one there. Okay, so there's two. This is a different figure. That one was, like, really small. Yeah, that one was, like, small. It was, like, maybe three, four feet tall. Um, This one feels like a full-body human being. Um, and, like, pressed against me, like, like, spooning, and I could feel, like, the arm, like, around the front of me. But I couldn't, like, see the arm because of the way I was positioned. I could just feel the presence of the arm. And it, like, was, like, just squeezing me tighter and tighter. And then, in my ear, this was, like, so painful. You know, like, when somebody blows hard into your ear? Mm-hmm. Like that, but, like somebody had blown an air horn in my ear but just that feeling of that much air just blasting into my ear and like sound like that pain of there was there was no it was just like the sound of somebody blowing into my ear and then the amount of air though was just it was not plausible for somebody to have done it was just like like i could feel it it was so painful and at that point i was like it was just continual like it wouldn't stop and i was like okay i have to get up at this point and i was like i'm not doing this anymore i'm done you got me and so like i pulled myself out of it finally and like i like checked around just to make sure i was like john didn't stay right you no, you didn't and i was like okay cool but i could still feel that pain in my ear mm. the one time that i saw the um the the top hat man um was I was looking at, I had it, I'd sleep process, and I was looking at the foot of my bed, and um, he was standing there, but, like, behind him and beside him were, like, a line of, like, smaller shadow beings, all just watching me sleep. Hmm. Well, let me see if I can explain this and see if you find any of this reasonable. And by I explain this, I'll tell you other people's explanations. I have one quick one that yeah. has to do with my mom, actually, that also has to do with a weird language thing. Okay. And we're pretty sure it was Hebrew. Um, so my mom had this experience where she woke up in the middle of the night and she felt like she saw... So our dog Delilah sleeps with her. She saw her staring at the one side of the bed. And my mom, like, couldn't, like, move, but she felt like somebody was laying in the bed next to her. 
Like, she could feel the impression on the bed like somebody was laying there next to her. And this, like, deep, like, guttural, gross, raspy voice spoke to her, like, in her ear. She could feel it. And I can't remember the word exactly what it said. But, um, like, she told me about it, and I was like, that kind of sounds like it's Hebrew. So we looked it up, and it actually is a Hebrew word. That it's the name of a certain songbird, but also the word has to do with, like, freedom and, um, like... And, like, being, like, in captivity type of deal. And then the next, like, a couple nights later, uh, to the left of me, so this, this, what I'm about to say, all happened in the moments of me opening my eyes after waking up. It was that fast, but it felt, like, so much longer. And I'm laying there, and I could just feel from the left side and actually hear this... It was, I'm going to try to make the sound. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to really hear it very well. Um, it's kind of like a type of noise. It was like, like a sucking air in type of noise, but like very loud and very okay. swift. And I could feel the air being pulled away from me. And so this is all in the seconds of me trying to like open my eyes after waking up. So when I finally like fully opened my mm. eyes, I like shot up in bed and I'm sitting up and I'm looking around and there is nothing there, but I can still very well feel the fact that like I could feel still the breath that was on my ear and the airflow and I could still feel the presence next to my bed. It was like nights after my mom told me about that. It felt like the exact same thing. Wild. Yeah. Let's do some analysis. Which explanation is more reasonable? The supernatural one or the medical one? We can tell what directions Bree's leaning in here. <laughs> Uh, I want to say that I, I feel that the medical explanations are speculative because identifying the areas of the brain associated with these experiences does not necessarily identify a cause. Uh, for my part, as a child and a teenager, and even as an adult, I have vivid memories of sleep paralysis, which have happened to me a few times, but the paralysis itself was really disturbing enough for me, and I never have gotten as far as the impression of an unwanted visitor or shortness of breath, or any of these things that Bree and John are talking about, or any of the folks that uh, we've heard from. Sleep paralysis does not presuppose the subsequent feeling of a presence of, or crushing sensation on your chest, is all I'm trying to say here. And it's this sensation, you know, the sensation of the crushing presence, or, you know, the various impressions Bree's talking about, or the, the visions that our, our listeners have written in about, these are what open the door for paranormal interpretation. My experiences generally do not. The medical explanation seems to suggest that because these parts of the brain do these things, they are causing this response all on their own. But their function is not to act on their own. Their function is to respond to external stimuli. Identifying brain processes does not preclude the possibility that our organism is responding, as Bree is, is you know, <laughs> heavily uh, leaning toward, an actual presence. We're meant to respond to external stimuli. That's what the brain does. It doesn't respond to imaginary stimuli. That, that would be a malfunction. We correctly or incorrectly then identify what we see as threatening. When we delve into the world of non-conscious experience, lucid dreaming, astral projection, near-death experiences, we are heavily reliant on the individual's subjective report, objective reality of which can rarely be proven or disproven. So just because... This is largely subjective, that Brie is the only one experiencing this, or Brie and her mother, or Brie and John, that we have this very small pool of people to confirm that something's happening. 
it doesn't mean that we can just dismiss it. We, we have a large body of evidence on near-death experiences and astral projection that, that make us pretty confident that <laughs> something weird is happening here. But again, we are having to base this on subjective evidence. That's just how it is with paranormal experience. It is a very subjective thing. Doesn't mean it's made up just because it's subjective. I can't say that enough, and I've said that in many episodes before. The tricky thing about the nightmare is that there is no veridicality. That is to say, there are no ways to check the individual's subjective experience against the intersubjective world. I, I will say in Bree's stories here, though, the confirmations with John and uh, with Annette, uh, with Bree's mother, that's um, interesting because we are getting some intersubjectivity there, that more than one person are responding to a similar thing. It's possible... Theoretically, that subconsciously, you know, John was influenced by the things that had happened in the house before. Does that sound right, John? Is that conceivable? Did you even know about any of that stuff? No, I actually knew nothing about oh. it. Yeah. So you did, did you even know that no. Bree had been there? Yeah, at she, this like, point he didn't. She, she didn't okay, tell well me then. she was there until I mentioned that I had that experience. That makes that, I mean, I don't have to tell you guys, you know, that makes that more persuasive as a piece of paranormal evidence that there is no, that John couldn't be subconsciously influenced by things he's known. So you found out all this stuff about the house yeah, after the fact. I didn't even know what was going on with my sisters until Bree told me. Well, and when I spoke to the one sister who experienced it all, I found out that she would have sleep paralysis. And when she had her sleep paralysis in the doorway, she saw exactly what I saw. In near-death experiences, individuals can sometimes describe conditions in an operating room when they were unconscious for the whole experience. Discussing apparitions of the living, Frederick Meyer showed how people could view loved ones' astral selves shortly before their death, often without knowledge that they were about to die. If the visiting mayor were to leave footprints or whisper the names of others she would visit that night, we might begin to develop this kind of evidence. And perhaps in John's case um, and, and Bree's mom, we are seeing some correlation there. But for the most part, it's that those those you guys are fairly rare. We don't see a lot of that. It's usually a, a sole person. Um, stories like Alessandra also uh, fall into the category of, of some confirmation. She saw a creature that someone else had already encountered. For the cleanest possible parapsychological evidence, it would be nice if our listener Alessandra had no knowledge of the other woman's beliefs before she encountered the demon. Again, this notion that, you know, we can be subconsciously sort of like poisoning the well. But the correlation is a little spooky, nevertheless. And, and John actually is giving us even better evidence. So that's pretty cool. It's interesting that the Japanese are able to prompt these experiences. The culture has cultivated a desire for these experiences, and it seems successfully generated them through that desire. We can think about our Western preoccupation with being able to remember our dreams, or as Brie was saying, lucid dream. This speaks to the intimate connection between the conscious and subconscious mind, but it doesn't answer our question about the origins of these experiences. Have the Japanese revealed our ability to trigger a glitch in our hardware or to invite a paranormal presence through our intention? That's the big question, right? The fact that many Japanese teenagers and adolescents report seeing pop culture monsters like the girl from The Ring only serves to remind us that whatever the answer is, the subjects of the terror in the night are always processing their experience through our own cultural lens. This is true that a lot of our Japanese folks describe seeing the uh, yokai from The Ring. 
Insofar as all of this is true of all of our experiences, this doesn't render our mare encounters any less believable, but it's a reminder that our cultural lenses achieve an increasingly powerful influence the closer we get to the realm of the subconscious. Do you feel that's the case, Bree, for you, that some of your, that you have a lens that filters on these encounters? Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. Um, because um, it, the, the hat man, Freddy Krueger. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is the argument against the hat man is that, in fact, you know, how Freddy Krueger wears a it hat. It is not the same hat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that this is the back and forth on this subject. But some folks who have attempted to debunk the shadow people and debunk the hat man have said, look at Freddy Krueger. He haunts you in your dreams. Uh, he was sort of like this invented monster of the 1980s. And people have these sleep encounters with a hat man. There he is, the but hatted man. Freddy Krueger so reports of the hat man before the 1980s? Uh, I guess not recorded. But, like, Freddy Krueger does not do any of the same things that the Hat Man does. None of it's the same. He's the complete opposite of the Hat Man. He's actually, like, physically there and physically altering things and physically killing people. So, but do you think the cultural lens has an impact on your experience? No. Wait, I, I literally have never even considered... No. No. <laughs> I don't. I guess not to the degree of Freddy Krueger. I mean, the Japanese certainly are experiencing the Ring Girl, but would, is it possible that they're experiencing the Ring Girl, but there's some entity underneath the Ring Girl? I think Do you know what totally I'm saying? Like it's just be. presenting yeah, that. No, way. there totally would be something underneath of that. That since these whatever the entity is can be like, oh, this is what these people are used to seeing as their horror, and I'm here to to scare and intimidate. Let me represent myself in this way. We've been making this promise. Let's let's deliver on it. How can if folks are concerned if they're having bad experiences, uh, how can they ward off the shadow people? If they think that they are being visited by such shadow people, and if they uh, are willing to take that step, that the shadow people are there. So shadow people are tricky. They're hard to deal with. Um, you. Well, we have some practical solutions, right? You can wake yourself up, and when you when you feel paralysis, don't just go yeah. with it. You can wake yourself up. There's steps you can up. take to wake yourself up. So, like, trying to steady your breathing, so trying to get, like, a breathing pace in, even if you think you can't breathe, you still need to, like, try to force that. Like, like if you're having a panic attack, because that's what starts to happen when you go through sleep paralysis, is your body starts to panic. Um, because your brain's just, yeah, your brain's just shooting off these, these chemicals, being like, oh, shit it's time to panic and you got to be like no calm down achieve some meditative calm for yourself yeah. try to check if in you with try yourself to like so if you can start with your hands you can't move try to start like uh moving your fingers try to like either what i you can either try to like clench your hands or you can try to what i do is like lift my fingers up try to like get them up one by one until i can get my hand up and then try to like flap my arm around until I can feel myself waking up. It sounds weird, but if you can get your arm moving, you got to keep yourself moving. Do not stop or else you're just going to slip back into it. So we might not have a supernatural solution to the shadow people, but if they're taking advantage of this, you know, hypnagogic Mm -hmm. state, then we can just wake ourselves up. Yeah. Or do you have any supernatural solutions? Don't... This is going to sound like I'm trying to be like, welcome to my TED talk, but don't like let negativity in your life overwhelm you. Like 
try to keep I think, yeah, a better mindset about advice, things. Generally. It's also just great right now <laughs> during this time to do that because we're all kind of losing our minds. And with these things, it's the perfect time for them to be like, hey, let's let's do some damage. And if you keep a more positive mindset, they don't have that to feed off of. It's harder for them to like kind of find you and get to you, you know? I, I want to add to that. I think you express yourself. Don't keep things in. Yeah. I mean, express yourself productively. It doesn't mean you go around yelling at everyone you're living with all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, speak your feelings honestly. Let people know how you feel or write them down or, you know, paint, express express out what's inside, both good and bad. When we keep that bottled up, uh, I, I think that that does tend to, it could be food for otherworldly entities um, or it could be food for our own demons manifesting in ways mm-hmm. that we would not like to see. Completely agree. John, you want to toss in on this anything? I'm honestly just enjoying this. <laughs> He's literally just been like listening very attentively, being like, ha, oh, hmm, yes. <laughs> John's getting tips. He's he's gonna he's gonna write this guidebook for us. <laughs> <laughs> he's our anthropologist in the field. Oh, and also, if you feel like you're in some sort of supernatural danger, that that sounded really dumb. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, don't PSA, don't just try to sage things. Don't try to smudge anything. Don't do that because if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to end up locking that thing in there with you and you're going to make everything 20 times worse. Don't do any sort of practices unless you actually know what you're doing. And if you know somebody who knows what they're doing, get them to help you instead. If it's that yeah, Bria, bad. I'm going to... I'm going to give my suggestion. I'm going to get get your take on this. I mean, if we think about this locking something in, we really, you know, from the inside out, we have the most control over, you know, our personal being, right? Mm-hmm. So I always suggest that people just, you know, imagine that white light or whatever healing energy coming from the inside out and surround themselves with that positive energy, whatever they want to, however they want to label it, but think about themselves as projecting out of positive energy. Without getting into saging or any of that I, business, I which agree. I do think you need to be expert on. That yeah. I mean, then then you anyone could do that with with relative ease yeah. because that's your own it's your own essence, right? It's your yeah. own idea. That's a great way to ground yourself. I totally agree with that. But don't just don't don't go doing things that you think will help. Even if just don't don't do the dumb things. Just just don't because if you don't know yeah, how to do them, you're gonna make everything worse for yourself, and you don't want to do that. Could we say that saging is the Ouija board of exorcisms? Yes, because it can do the exact opposite if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, that you're sort of you're doing things that you don't understand. You're playing with forces that you haven't studied. Yeah. Yeah. Read, yeah. <laughs> read John's guidebook. <laughs> read the guidebook. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Alchemical Actors Intermission Theater featuring the exciting conclusion of the continuing saga of Shannon versus the evil, evilness. Shannon has returned to her bedroom where her dear friend and closest companion, Miriabella, has tied her ankles and wrists to the bedposts. Dear Miriabella, my closest companion... You must not let me up until the moon glow has burned this awful curse out of my being. No matter how I cry, even if I should yell out, Oh, it burns, it burns, how it burns, I can feel it burning like a bunch of bitterly divorced ladybugs are licking peanut butter off the ends of my hair follicles. Even if I yell that, 
You must leave me tied, Mirabella, until I am free. I thought you said we needed a new moon. Yes, the newer the better. Fresh moon is best for burning off curses. <sighs> no, there's no moonlight with a new moon. It's just dark. <gasps> no moon? How spooky. We must be cursed. Well, I must be. I am cursed. <sighs> okay, we, we've already done all that. Uh, right. But um, we did this whole tying up thing. I think it took us like 15 minutes. So you know what? I feel better now. That fresh moon really did the trick. I'm good now. It's not fresh. There's like a shadow on it. So you can't see it. It's called... Ugh. Right, whatever. Just untie me. Okay. Our sources today included Shelley R. Adler's Sleep Paralysis, Nightmares, Nocebos, and the Mind-Body Connection, Sleep Paralysis, a Medical Connection with a Diverse Cultural Interpretation in the International Journal of Applied and Basic Medical Research, and Quartz News over on YouTube, which is where I went to get some of my Hatman stuff, because again, there, there aren't very good sources on Hatman. Yeah, no. Both the Freddy Krueger and the both sides of it, that the you know true stories of the Hat Man and and the uh, debunking of the Hat Man come from from my YouTube research, which I very rarely do. But yeah. only when I'm truly pressed for something do I resort <laughs> to YouTube. I also there aren't even podcasts on this. Yeah, I also suggest um, even to you, Rob, if you haven't watched it already. I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore, but it's a documentary called The Nightmare, and it's about all this stuff. It's really cool. really good. Um, there's even the an alien abduction one that has to do with the sleep paralysis. It's really interesting. I think it, everybody should watch it if you're interested. Do you guys know how to bring it on home, or should I do it? Um, we, the... We you hereby, hereby adjourn. We hereby adjourn, adjourn declare, close this meeting of a secret order of alchemical actors until such a time as we do together and do it, it again. again. That was pretty good. That was that was almost magical. I know. That was pretty neat. I got really excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we want to thank uh, Sean Priest for pitching in a voice for us today. Thanks, Sean. Uh, 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 thank you, Sean. Otherwise, <laughs> thanks, Sean. Otherwise, it was just us. Uh, I, my name is Rob C. Thompson, joined here today by Bree Litterall, our metallurgic prophet. I realized I didn't do one the entire time. I apologize, guys. <laughs> well, it was serious. We were doing some serious business here. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I was really serious. <laughs> that is less serious business, so I understand. Uh, and John Cook, our patron progenitor. Bye. <laughs> Still, he's he's copying down his notes as he as You're he exits. Currently here. writing the guide. <laughs> uh, join us. Uh, this is it. We're we're done with evil spirits. <laughs> we're not done with the podcast. You're just saying Don't we're worry. Done. I was like, Rob, we're done. I did it. I podcasted. Right <laughs> I did the podcast. I'm finished now. But no, uh, you would be very sad if I said that because uh, when we come back next time, we begin. Our series on chaos magic. Yes, my occult nerdy bitches. It is time for we're, chaos we're magic. Doing chaos magic, Rob. I am doing four episodes on chaos magic. Oh my god. Yes. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so, Austin Osmond Spare will be uh, the beginning of our conversation on chaos magic. Uh, my feeling, Bree, and and the wide world is that chaos magic has been very poorly covered. Yeah. In uh, you know, on podcasts and things, and that it. Uh, I I don't mean that by. 
It's been, I think, well covered by chaos magicians who take it very seriously yeah. and have devoted entire podcasts to it. But when it comes to something like us, where we're not doing a whole podcast about chaos magic, the history of chaos magic is something that needs some serious uh, coverage. So that's cool. what we're going to do. Yeah. It's time to do it. And uh, Bree and John will be back for that series, I promise you, here on Occult Confessions. See ya.